Listener Production. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool, and welcome to The Good Oil. Now, if you're new to the podcast, if you're not familiar with the phrase or you just don't remember, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff, and the real stuff. And that's exactly what we're doing with this podcast. We're bringing you conversations with entrepreneurs, experts, and executives, the people who know what's going on, and the people who are making things happen. Now, as always, today's guest is someone who really does know what's going on. Martin Cregan is the Managing Director of Australia and New Zealand at Citrix. Now, here's some buzzwords for you, a cloud computing and virtualization technology company. If that leaves you a little bit unsure, that's exactly why Martin's here, because there are some really cool things going on in the cloud, uh, and we will talk a little bit about that. Now, of course, we know it's about software, remote computing, intersects nicely with the work from home trend that we've been seeing over the course of the pandemic. This is a really, really important time to talk to Martin about what's going on at Citrix and what he's seeing in the marketplace. Martin, welcome to The Good Oil. Thanks, Scott. Happy to be here. Mate, really appreciate you making the time. Uh, I'm gonna gonna hit you with a, 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 I'm sure you've answered this question many, many times before. What's the short version of what a quote cloud computing and virtualizing technology company does? What 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 does what does that mean for the rest of us, mate? Well, Citrix actually provides secure remote working for enterprises across the globe, and what that really means okay. is that we enable workers to do their best work from any location on any device anywhere, and still be productive and still add value to an, an organization or an enterprise. And we do that through the use of technology. Nice. Okay, that's a, that's a really good summary, mate. Can I can I take one step further down that path where we pull back out again? Some people would listening would say, well, that's what Google Docs already does, and that's what Zoom already does, and that's what uh, you, you know Microsoft already does, and and I'm using you know a million different pieces of software to do my daily work from home or from the office. How how does Citrix interact, integrate, replace? Uh, why would I use Citrix when I can jump on any laptop anywhere, log into Google Docs, log into my uh, Gmail account, log into Zoom? Uh, what, what's what's the Citrix offering, just in in brief, that kind of adds or or replaces or augments that sort of stuff? Yeah. So first and foremost, Scott, I think uh, it's really important uh, to highlight that Citrix has been do- doing this for 30 years. Um, so we, we've been around for 30 years providing virtualization and capability for, for folks to to work in, in a more efficient manner. Um, so that's the first point is uh, how long we've been doing it, the longevity um, that, that's associated with it. Uh, secondly, we actually provide a, an access to remote lo- uh, um, working in, in a different way than some of those other providers that you just talked about. Uh, and, and doing so we also provide a, a security layer that makes sure that as you're working on the applications and as you're working on um, your day-to-day work, as, as most people would know it, um, we're securing that data and we're securing the application um, so that the enterprise or the CISO of your organization um, can sleep comfortably at night knowing that the, <laughs> the data in the application is secure. And we wrap all of that up into a single pane of glass. Uh, and we make the user experience seamless and very easy. Mate, you mentioned you've been in business for 30 years. I used Citrix in two previous jobs. One is far back. It must have been literally in the very, very, very early days of Citrix. Uh, I was in Sydney. We had a, a head office in Melbourne. And I remember using Citrix to log into, of all things, Microsoft Excel and do some computing work there. And this was, this was I, I'm going to say, 25 years ago. So it must have been really, really early days. I last used about a dozen years ago at a different business uh, doing something similar, uh, taking advantage of, of some, some kind of computing power remotely and using what we used to call dumb terminals, uh, what they call client terms like at one point that idea of kind of you'd you'd look at it here and do the computing over there that was the that was the forerunner of cloud but cloud kind of turned up as a thing i'm like 
that's been around for ages. But obviously, these things take some time to uh, to, to come to fruition. And Citrix, as I said, I, I, I've used you guys many, many times over over uh, unfortunately too many years. <laughs> I've got not enough hair left to uh, to pretend I'm young anymore. Uh, but certainly, have had that experience, mate. Let's let's um let's go back to Citrix in a second. I want to talk about you for a minute. Uh, because I know you served in the U.S. Navy, uh, and it's a—I'm always fascinated by people who make the transition from the military to the business world. So I guess can I can I take you way 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 back, or maybe not that far back, not as far back as me? Um, what what drew you to to the military in the first place? That's a great question. So um, I, I'm as you could tell, uh, a Yank as we like to call them in, in Australia, right? So <laughs> we do, I'm a we Yank. Do. Um, I've been here for 25 years, Scott. So uh, working in the the uh, enterprise markets for 25 years. But what got me into the Navy was I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm uh, one of eight kids. I'm go Steelers. Go okay. Steelers. Uh, actually, I'm the youngest of eight kids. Um, and my father was in the Navy during World War II. And uh, growing up, you know, we used to hear my father talk about his experience in the Navy. And even though it was a, a you know, wartime when he was in, he used to talk about the experience of him going to boot camp and then, you know, the traveling. And he actually fought out in the Pacific um, while he was in the military during World War II. And it was always one of those scenarios when you, when you seen him talk about it, he just lit up. And, and you can tell it was uh, one of the best um, moments or best, um, I, I guess, you know, uh, areas or best years of his life. Um, so as all my brothers and sisters are growing up, he was always trying to encourage one of us to go into the military. Um, so uh, my senior year of high school rolls around and um, I, I wasn't too keen on, on heading straight off to university. Um, and so I was, I was working in construction, pouring concrete, uh, putting in glass brick windows, as we call them here with my brother. And after a couple of months of doing that through the summer, I said, I, this, this isn't for me. <laughs> I, I know what I don't want to do, and it's, it's nice. that. Um, that's hard work, and I uh, tip my hat to the, the gentlemen and ladies and, and, and men that are out there doing that on a day-to-day basis. But I decided I don't want to do that. Um, and then I thought you know, it would be nice to get out of Pittsburgh and see what the world has to offer. And as I thought more and more about it, I thought you know, the Navy is probably a great way to do that. So I, I decided to join the Navy. Tell me about that experience. How, how long were you in the Navy for? Uh, how, I'm going to assume it was a formative experience. Very few people leave the military without it being formative for them. Uh, my old man was a, was a Vietnam veteran as well, so I, I uh, share some of that family, family background uh, with you and your father. Um, what, how, how was that experience for you? What did, what did it teach you? What did you learn? How long were you there? I was, I was there just uh, nine and a bit years, um, so just under 10 years. Um, and it was the best thing I've ever done. In regards to you know learning experience and and travel, you know through through the military or through the navy, plus with personal and professional travel, I've been to over 100 countries around the world now. Um, and, and and Scott, I think that's the the best thing the experience that you get by actually going to places and seeing them firsthand. Uh, and I was also in the military in the navy uh, during the first Gulf War, uh, so that was that was very um, that that was a, an experience that. You can't buy, you can't live, you can't actually just walk into. So the experience that I've actually had in regards to um, building me as the person I am today, whether that's the leader that I am today, the father that I am today, the husband that I am today, um, the son that I am today, I contribute a lot of that to the military. Uh, I I talk to my team a lot about being uh, successful and success for me. Uh, as as an individual, as a team, means that that we're we're engaged, fully engaged, and we're all on. And part of that is uh, having a cadence. 
So making sure that you're, you're, you're up and you're hitting that cadence every day and you're disciplined in what you need to do in regards to uh, your day-to-day activities, whether that's, you know, going to the gym before work or whether that's your, your work activities itself. And once again, I, I, I lend a lot of that learning to the military. So it was the best experience. Uh, I also um, managed to meet my wife while I was in the military. So we, uh, yeah, we pulled into uh, the Port of Sydney back in 1992 for the 50th anniversary of the Battle of the Coral Sea, uh, and right. I met my wife uh, on the two or three days that I was on shore leave here. And uh, we've been married now for almost 30 years, Scott, two kids living in Australia, and the rest is history, as they say. You talk about the discipline and that cadence. I like the cadence word, a very, a very military word. Um, if if your experience is anything like my father's experience, perhaps the frustration that comes from that military experience is when you have to work with people who aren't or haven't been in the military, and you're, you've got this this discipline, this approach to life, and you're you spend your you spend your life at least my father did trying to wonder why I wasn't as disciplined as he was and hadn't had that experience, not in a bad way by the way, uh, and a lighthearted way. Do, do you do do you find that transition a, a challenge? I suppose the the lessons, the disciplines, the um, the approaches. To to, to life and to to your task in this case a military task and then moving to a business task um, is there is there some sort of culture shock or adjustment or, or or allowance you have to make for people who haven't had those sort of experiences I think initially for some folks coming out of the military there is for for me I think it was a little bit different and the reason why if I always focused on the people aspect even when I was in the military so for an example when I was in the military at one of my commands I was the first one to launch what we call of course in the corporate world a customer uh, a customer engagement or a customer uh, um success survey or you know uh uh, you know, we, we want to make sure that our, we're doing the right thing by our customers, or our people. And then um, I was also the first one to uh, really survey our employees in the military, our employees being, of course, our military members and asking them what's important to them. And the reason why I did that, Scott, is because we had an extraordinary amount of military uh, personnel. So other sailors who were serving with me and for me who on a, on a consistent basis seemed to be unhappy. Um, and when I started digging underneath that, scratching underneath the surface of why are they unhappy, it was almost like they were just complaining for the sake of complaining. Because when you when you started to share with them uh, all the programs that were available, all the education programs that were available, the welfare and recreation programs, the mental health programs, all the different, uh, I guess, tools they had access to, it became evident that the military is actually a wonderful place to be and a wonderful place to what I call grow up. Uh, and, and really, really make a, a man or a woman out of you. So uh, we were the first ones to, to launch a survey like that and get feedback from the teams of what would you like to see more of, what's working now, what's not working, uh, and then take action on it. And we do a similar thing in the enterprise world. So that focus on people is really important from my perspective. So my transition, because of that focus on people, was smoother, I believe, than, than maybe many others. But I think the the big the big challenge for most folks coming out of the military is when you're in the military, you're, you're, it's full, full on, fully engaged, uh, 100 miles an hour. Uh, and so it's, it slows down considerably. And a lot of people don't, don't know how to take that. So they want to speed it back <laughs> up again. And, and I bet. in many cases, you don't have to. Yeah. Oh, you don't have to. That's okay. So that, that wasn't the end of that sentence I was expecting. When you don't have to, that suggests that trying to speed it up is, is it, is it just activity for the sake of activity? Is it a question of uh, inputs and outputs? I, I would have thought you would have said, look, you can't because people aren't like that, but you've actually said, well, you don't have to because that's not the only way to do it. What, what is it about that difference? Why don't you have to in the corporate world? I think in the corporate world, what you need to do is you, you need to look at what is the outcome that we're all striving for? 
and what are the best ways that we can get to that outcome and who are the best people and the best teams that we can actually apply in getting that outcome. And some folks are wired exactly as I just said. They're wired to go, 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 go. And other folks aren't. And those folks that aren't wired to go, go, go tend to be more the strategic thinkers that take that step back. They look at the bigger picture. They might even take that step back, take a breath. Are, are we achieving what we said we, we wanted to achieve or what we set out to say we were going to achieve uh, versus you know, go like a wrecking ball and just keep going in and you might finally get to the end, but the trail of destruction you left in the path is, uh, is something you have to go clean up now. Mate, uh, just, uh, we will get back to Citrix in a second. Tell me about the transition itself. Uh, at some point you say, love the military, love my service, but it's time to go and do something else. Uh, I'm going to assume, look, it, it, I've been at The Motley Fool now for 11 years, almost 12 years. Even moving to another investment company, the same industry, same market, same everything would be daunting. Uh, not so I wouldn't do it, but yeah, it would be daunting. Moving from, uh, there's nothing like the military unless you join another country's military. It, it, I imagine it's very hard to step out of that and, and feel like you have something similar to go to. Um, maybe just if you could share with me your, that, that process of, I think it might be time to go through to what I assume was either probably hopefully some excitement of new things, but also some trepidation, and then to landing in the area you end up working in and then, and then the journey to Citrix. Yeah, I, I think uh, it was it was quite a scary time, especially as I, I reflect back on it and, and look at that transition period. It was quite scary. Um, but the reason why I chose to do it was I, I loved the military. I loved everything about it. I think it brought the best out of me. Um, the learnings that I had was just phenomenal. Uh, the place I got to go see, the people that I've met, the relationships that I've built, um, the camaraderie, um, the teaming, uh, it, w- it was all fantastic. But as I mentioned back in 1992, May of 92, uh, to be exact, so just over 30 years ago, I met my wife here in Australia, and we had a long-distance relationship for about six months. And back then, we were writing letters back and forth to each other. We didn't, we didn't have no this thing called then. email. No <laughs> exactly. back then. No video, no, right, none of those right. things. So we were writing letters back and forth. That's kind of how we really got to know each other. So while I was deployed up to the Persian Gulf for six months, we're writing letters back and forth to each other. Uh, I asked her to come visit my family in Pittsburgh uh, after my deployment, and she came to Pittsburgh to, to meet my family. So I think it was the fourth physical day that um, that I was with wow. my wife. I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, here we are, as I mentioned, 30 years later with two kids living in Australia. It's an uh, interesting thing you talk about, the, the idea of being so far away from home and the time where there wasn't uh, video conferencing and all that kind of stuff, and now here we are. Uh, and the last few years, uh, particularly, so let's, let's jump forward all those years. Obviously, a very detailed and successful career. You're now the Managing Director of Australia and New Zealand for Citrix, so you've done very well. Um, but you find yourself now at a position where the, the times are good, uh, or potentially very good for Citrix and for businesses like yours. Um, no one would want those circumstances, given the way they came about, of course, with COVID. But... Um, they say that uh, fortune prepares, uh, favors the prepared mind and, and maybe the prepared business. Um, curious as to just if you could talk us through the last few years uh, in particular uh, at, at Citrix in terms of just how how things started to evolve. Obviously, the pandemic hit. No one really knew what to expect. We go from that to everybody being locked down to businesses, in some cases being very prepared, in other cases scrambling like mad, saying, how on earth do we let our people work from home? How, does, how is this possible? Um, through to then what is now a question of what does flexible work look like? And again, I suppose that the times are, are, are wonderful for, for Citrix because of that circumstance. I, I sit back and I reflect on this uh, quite often because you, you're right. It was a, a matter of circumstance that accelerated I, I think folks working remotely and, and having the flexibility that we have today, and I'll certainly touch on that in a moment, 
But the pandemic came around and the the number one focus that Citrix had was we need to support our customers and our partners. And we need to support them through this massive change. And most enterprise uh, organizations or most even small to medium businesses, Scott, they, they might actually uh, be prepared or have designed their tech um, to support up to 15, 20% of their workforce working remotely. And then what happened is all of a sudden overnight, 100% of them were working remotely. And, and scra- you use the word scramble. Uh, I, I, I think that's a great word because there was a lot of scrambling going on. And our focus was purely around how do we support our customers getting their remote workforce you know, back up and productive as soon as possible. And because our technology software licensing, we, we were able to help them uh, in a very, very fast manner. Uh, the, the biggest challenge they had was then migration, like migrating um, you know, some of their users from one service to another service, et cetera, to get onto you know, the platforms that we could actually turn our licensing on and, and then off they go. So the number of, of, of customers that I've met over the, even just even, even the last year who have said, without Citrix, we don't know what we would have done. Uh, in regards to supporting our workforce and keeping our business going through the pandemic. So it, the technology has to be there. And, and so it, it's, it's super important. The second thing that I think is just amazing is the tolerance levels that businesses and corporations have actually uh, moved to. And what I mean by that is just even two or three years ago, most organizations had an expectation that their, their workers – uh, their staff were going to be in the office uh, for X amount of time. There were some industries in the telecommunications industry or in some tech industries, et cetera, where you were seeing more call centers and things of this nature. You were starting to see more and more folks working remotely. But in most industries, especially primary industry, banking, finance, insurance, you know, all these things, it was that there was an expectation that you're in the office uh, and you're in the office, you're in the office five days a week in most cases. Uh, so it's, it's been fascinating to see over the last two to three years, two things. Number one, the shift to remote working or what we call hybrid working, and I'll come back to that. Uh, so the, the shift to hybrid working is, has been phenomenal. But number two, the tech, the support, that shift to hybrid working has really advanced over the last couple of years. So from a Citrix point of view, it's, it's very satisfying to, to take a step back and think that we were the enabler of that. We were the enabler of this, of this massive shift, this phenomenon that has taken place. And what we're seeing now is you know, Citrix just did a survey um, just not too long ago uh, of 1,000 Australian workers. And, and we, we surveyed them on the basis that, hey, we've, give, we've been given the green light now. Offices are open. We're, we're getting back to what you know, we'll call, quote, unquote, the norm of, of, of operating in business. We want to know, folks, are you going into the office? And 54% of them said they would work at home more often now. And so that wasn't surprising. But then what we wanted to find out is, is you know, what's the major driver for these folks working at home? And there was, there was two or three things, but the first thing that came up was the cost of commuting. So 54% said, I'm going to work from home, and the primary reason why I want to work from home is to reduce the cost of commuting. So 
So we took a look at that and we said, oh, okay, what, what does that mean? And we have rising fuel costs uh, and the rising cost of living in general, et cetera, are all factors uh, of them saying that they wanted to work from home. And in fact, almost 70% of them said, well, I'd consider working in the office if our employer would give me some sort of compensation to help me with the commute. So uh, either pay for my commute, you know, give me a gas allowance or a fuel mm. allowance. Yeah, um, yeah. especially those times. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> give me um, give, give me a pay increase or something. And if you do that, then I'd be more willing to come to the office. And, and Scott, I found that fascinating. And the reason why I found that fascinating is once again, think about what we just said. Two to three years ago, there were there were no questions asked. Everybody was in the office, right? Now we're in a position saying that our employees or our workers are saying. I'll come to the office, but only if you pay me to come to the office. <laughs> and a lot of our employers, our corporations, our enterprises that we're working with, we're like, hang on, I am paying you, right? I'm giving you a salary, so you should come to the office. <laughs> yes. And they're saying, yeah, you're giving me a salary, but what we've been able to prove out over the last couple of years is I could be just as productive. In fact, more productive in some cases than I am when I'm in the office. And so we, we, we double-clicked on that a little bit, and we had a look at it, and we said, what does that really mean like in regards to um, cost? And, and according to a HILDA survey that, that took place back in 2021, and HILDA being Housing Income Labor Dynamics in Australia, I'm not sure if you're familiar, you might be familiar with those surveys, right? Australians in general spend four and a half hours per week commuting to and from the office. Four and a half hours. And that's an average too, by the Correct. way. Correct. Absolutely. That's an average. And, and that's a 23% increase in comparison to 2002. And a lot of that has to do with the sprawl. And then, of course, through the pandemic, people decided for a lifestyle change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move to you know, Byron Bay or I'm going to move to you know, wherever they're moving to. So uh, I could only imagine then that, that average commute would, would then increase dramatically there again based on what's just happened through the pandemic. And then uh, the Australian Bureau of Stats – um, I released a, a survey that said the average earnings uh, per week of, in Australia was one thousand three hundred and thirty odd dollars back in November of 2021, and in, that's in comparison to back uh, November of 2011, where the average earnings per week was a thousand and thirty three dollars. So there's only a three hundred dollar increase in that ten year period, incremental increase in wages, and I think this is why people are saying, if you look at the rising fuel costs, the rising cost of living, etc. It's outpacing what we're getting in wages and wage growth, and we've proven over the last couple of years that we can work remotely from anywhere, any location, and we can still be productive. So if you really want me to come to the office, you're going to have to pay me to come to the office. And, and I found that fascinating. It's interesting to the different management styles and also workplace requirements that require that as opposed to make it possible and the hybrid thing you talked about is, is I find just really really fascinating I've, I've, I'm very fortunate I'm in an organisation where uh, when I joined the Motley Fool I was employee number two in Australia uh, the, the first guy was in the, on the Gold Coast and I lived in Sydney at the time I was like well I guess you're working from home and it's never changed so 11 years, 12 years later, I'm still working from home. And the business is a new business. It's a relatively young business. Even in the US, it's only now 30 years old. And so uh, we've, we've, we were born and grew up in the internet age where the systems and processes allowed for that. And, and you know, yes, there were different times where they wanted people in the office and didn't. But culturally, uh, you know, it wasn't a big deal, at least here in Australia. And I think I had a neighbor whose boss basically said, I want you here in the office so I can see what you're doing all day. 
And those are two really extreme examples. And somewhere in between is the reality. I've made the case, mate, that um, I've said on Twitter and elsewhere, it, I, I, would, I would bet a very large amount of money that if I took a group of companies, ASX companies, that allowed hybrid flexible working and a group who had policy going back to the office, I absolutely would bet a very large amount of money. I'd invest a large amount of money on, on, on going along the first group and shorting the other group. Because I just think the way that culture and, and hiring is going to change is the people who want that flexibility will go and get it. And the good people will go and get it and get the good jobs. And the people who are stuck having to work for in situations they don't want to work are going to be the, I'll say lower quality employees. I don't mean that as a personal insult, but in terms of, you know, employability and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I actually think we will see this natural kind of osmosis, right? That eventually the businesses that people want to work for will attract the best people because they have a massive choice. Those who don't give that flexibility are stuck with who they can get because they don't have that choice. Um, I don't know if you have a, have a thought on that as a, I'm asking you a demographer as much as anything. I know you're a, a technologist, but, but obviously you're taking a, a, a close interest in this stuff. Do you have a thought on that kind of approach? Not, not only a thought on it, but number one is I, I would invest in your investment that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hybrid working is the way to go. And it is. I, I mean, and here's the reason why. Once again, with uh, not only the survey that we recently did through one poll, um, but a number of surveys that we did over the last six to 12 months, um, not only in Australia, but across the, the globe. But most of this is Australian-based research that we've done. Um, the, the Australian, in the case of the one poll research we just recently did, the Australian workers that we surveyed said almost two-thirds of them or 64% of them. Uh, won't return to the office. And the reason why is they want to retain that flexibility of working from home. And, and at Citrix, we have, we've coined this phrase called the trinity of workplace success. And, and, and the trinity of workplace success for us is um, an enterprise and organization that offers flexibility, choice, and innovation. So flexibility yeah, that's the trinity of success. So flexibility being um, I have the flexibility to work at home or work at the cafe down the road or whatever the scenario is. So that's the flexibility. The choice is I have the choice of what days I work from home and what days I work in the office because I will say that hybrid work is super important. I'm going to come back to that in a moment because the research is telling us that as well. But hybrid, uh, coming into the office is still important for folks. So choice is I, choose, I get to choose what days, when, how, where, why, uh, you know, scenarios of why I'm coming into the office. And then innovation. This is really key. And to be honest, this is why Citrix, I think, is being so, has been so successful in the marketplace, is this choice of innovation, i.e., the enterprise or the business is giving me the tools I need to be successful in working remotely. And then on the flip side of that, from an enterprise point of view, um, our IT and our CSIO groups and you know, our security groups, et cetera, have the comfort of knowing if I'm using the right tools and the right technology, then our access or our data and our applications are going to be secure, but I'm still going to get the productivity I need out of, out of my, my team. So, so number one, uh, the trinity of, of workplace success is, I think, really critical. Number two, I think what's really important is um, we've done a lot of research on the born digitals or the millennials coming into the workforce. And through that research, we've, we've come up with this concept that we're calling Motivation 3.0. And what that really is, is um, you know, many, many, many years ago when I entered the workforce, uh, my motivation, I, I talked to you about my, my, my journey, right? My motivation when I started working at the first company I worked at, and in Australia was support my family 
And in order for me to support my family, I needed to get the best package, the best salary uh, I could possibly get to make sure that I'm providing for my family. And then, of course, living in Australia, you need to save up enough money to get a house and put a down payment on. You know. and, and by the way, 25 years ago was a heck of a lot easier than it is now. But so my, my motivation and the things that were important to me as I entered the workforce in Australia that, that was many years ago is different to the motivation that we're seeing with the born digitals and the millennials entering the workforce now. And by the way, that is one of the most important demographics entering the workforce because we have so many, uh, from a generational point of view, so many folks entering into the retirement ages and the workforce as well, um, the baby boomers, uh, et cetera, you know, are starting to retire. So that born digital workforce is really important. And then over the last couple of years, um, we've been finding that you know, people are really taking that step back, and, and they're really having a, a, a good think about what kind of a lifestyle do I really want to lead? Do I want to do I want to be in a rat race or do I want to live on a, a property that's you know an hour outside the city and I can relax and do all those things? So they want that flexibility. So if we go back to the born digitals, two thirds or more than sixty six percent of the born digitals are saying that my motivation or motivation three dot isn't about salary. It isn't about you know um, making sure that I have uh, a company that I can go work for for the next 25 years because most of them will work at a company for a couple of years and the next the next and so on. Their their motivation is is that workplace going to give me the flexibility that I need? So I, can I work from home? Can I work from the cafe? Um, can I work from you know uh, you know my mate's house? Whatever the scenario is. So flexibility is number one, and tools is number two. So are they giving me the tech and innovation that that I need to be successful? And then three is things like salary, et cetera, et cetera. So the motivation for these folks entering the workforce has totally flipped. It's a, it's a different motivation. And if, if, Scott, if you're talking to other executives uh, around any industry, whether it's banking and finance, in the tech industry, et cetera, they're going to tell you one of the top three challenges that we're facing right now is talent. And, and so talent acquisition and talent retention is at the top of the agendas of almost every executive I meet with. And so if you want to go acquire this talent, specifically that, that generation, and if you want to retain that talent, then you're going to have to buy into this trinity of workplace success. You're, go- you're, going to, you're going to have to give them some flexibility. You're going to have to give them some choice, and you're going to have to give them the innovation or tech they need to be successful. Mate, I was going to ask you about this question, but I will because you raised that. It's a really, really great point. Uh, the, the talent, attraction, and, and retention. Also, the broader question, obviously, we're in a situation where wages aren't rising yet, but inflation is going through the roof. Uh, I believe in tech, the wages are already kind of on, on the march. There was a story a week or so ago about Microsoft doubling its salary pool so it could attract great people. Um, inflation generally, uh, just, just from, from your and, and talent specifically, unemployment at 3.9% in Australia, probably uh, in, in no small part because of the fact we've had closed borders for a couple of years, but also just in general because uh, we're a growing economy and, and population isn't growing as quickly as the, as the demand for people. And then, of course, 3.9% is an average. Uh, hospitality can't find workers at all. The tech, I understand, is having to pay a lot more to get those people and keep those people. Um, what's your experience as, as, a, as a, you know, a business owner, or not owner, but a business, someone's running their own business, at least a part of a global, a global business? Um, what's your experience at, at Citrix Australia New Zealand about that both the inflation in general and, and, and wages and, and kind of staff in particular? It's, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge because, of course, um, folks are looking for uh, wage increases to help uh, combat the, the rising cost of living. 
But this is also why they're looking at ways to be clever. That's why I'll work from home and you know, I'll save $394 a year working from home by, by working just one day at home a week. It will save me that type of money. So they're, lo- they're looking for ways to save money. So we're a, seeing that. We're looking, for, uh, uh, we're looking at uh, people being more clever and how they can actually make the, the earnings or the wages that they're getting go further, stretch further due to rising cost and inflation. But we're also seeing a job market right now or a talent market that is unprecedented. So you've probably heard the term the great resignation, and there's, and that's really come about because um, as we rolled into the pandemic, people really did start second-guessing or taking a look at where am I on my career path, my professional path, my personal path? Am I where I want to be? Do I want a lifestyle change? Um, do I want to actually work in this job or do I want to get a different job? And we're starting to see that. So you, you mentioned Microsoft talked about doubling their, uh, their salary, um, their wages so they can go acquire talent. We're absolutely seeing it in the marketplace. Um, and in just the, the past 12 months, um, we've seen some of our staff leave our organization um, to, to go to uh, competitors or go to uh, other tech companies in, in tech marketplace. And the packages that they were being offered were, in some cases, 30 to 50% more than what we were paying them. And I, I think that um, there, there's going to be a, a limited time frame of that happening because organizations, companies just can't afford it, right? You're not going to be able to afford your talent um, and, and then have a successful business and still be profitable. So there is absolutely a, a bit of a trend that's going on right now out, out in the marketplace. Uh, but what I, what I do think is that people are being much more savvy in regards to their wages, how they can actually reduce their cost of living or or reduce their cost in general uh, because wages aren't climbing or increasing at the same rate of inflation and and, uh, the cost of living. So they they just have to be more clever, and we're definitely seeing that across the board. Nice, man. I really appreciate you being so so forthright and and open in your your thoughts and and sharing some of your journey as well as what Citrix is doing. Mate, we always finish with our favorite four questions. So if you'll indulge me, uh, I'm going to run those through you. Nothing nothing too challenging. Don't worry. Uh, The first question, a lot of our listeners are are avid readers, podcast listeners, uh, streaming watchers. What's on your reading and watching list right now? Uh, it's interesting. So my, my reading list is, is John Grisham. So I, I, I just, I'm reading the judges okay, list nice. right now. I, I, I've read every book awesome. that he's actually ever published. He's so good. Uh, it, it is absolutely so good. And, and, you know, I always actually have a tendency to try to look up and, and have a look at some business books and, and things of that nature as well. And, um, I, I, I just read some stuff from Zenger Folkman in regards to the 95th percentile and so on that, that, you know, how do you motivate employees and what do you focus? on and that's always been super super uh, interesting from a watching perspective i love yellowstone so i can't wait until yellowstone okay. uh, you know season starts again it's awesome it's it's a great show um so i love that i try to watch that with uh, my daughter loves it so my daughter and i try to watch that together i uh, can't wait for maverick top gun to be released tomorrow oh same. so yeah exactly um, that'll be a watching aspect for me as well but those are those are the types of things i tend to read or watch I think Chris, Grisham and uh, Top Gun may age both of us just slightly, Martin. But that's okay. We, we're gonna we're gonna own it. I reckon. It, uh, absolutely. I've read every one of his books, every <laughs> one of them. So I keep reading them as they come out. I keep reading them. Sensational, mate. We talked a lot about the trend of virtualization, working from home, hybrid working. But what other trends are you watching? Whether that be in in your job, in business, uh, anything across the society or, or the economy. Well, what's kind of what do you got your, your eyes on your mind? What's your mind turning to? Yeah, I, I think trends in, in business are, are, are fascinating. And I think this remote work dynamic is something that's going to stay. So hybrid work is absolutely something that's going to stay. 
and I um I find it fascinating to see how enterprises and organizations are um, are battling with it uh, to a certain degree. So that is that's of course of, of of a lot of interest to me. But I also think in the financial markets, um, I think it's fascinating when we start looking at things like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and you know what what's this going to do to um, you know currencies around the world? What's it going to mean from a financial impact as we move forward from an investing point of view, etc. And I think those trends are pretty fascinating. And then the last trend that I think is fascinating, and I actually do a lot of talking and speaking uh, about this type of stuff, is um, the, the the trend of what I'll call automation. So whether it's artificial intelligence, um, you know, robotics, uh, et cetera, I think is just fascinating. And if you look at what we're doing around space, um, uh, if you know, so look at what Elon Musk is doing, et cetera, or more importantly, if you just look at healthcare. And look at the impact that robotics and automation and AI, et cetera, is having on uh, telehealth and, and remote healthcare and what that can mean to us as human beings uh, as we get older and, and, and maybe in, you know, expanding our lifespans, et cetera, I think is fascinating. And I also think it's fascinating how so many folks are afraid of what I call um, you know, us versus them. So, you know, uh, machine versus human. Uh, and and I, uh, I, I speak a lot about that. It's not an us versus them thing. It's a us and them because it's, you know, robotics and AI and automation and et cetera, machine learning is here to stay. And it's improving everything that we do in our lives. So it's about how do we embrace it and, and adopt it to make sure that we have a better life. Um, so that, that's, those are the types of things that fascinate me at the moment. Fascinating. Yeah, there's so much going on. And that's, that's. I mean, it's, it's just such a great time to be alive, right? Great time to be in business and kind of watching what's going on. Uh, I was talking to my mother-in-law only uh, yesterday day before and, and thinking about the change in her life. I mean, my lifetime alone, but her lifetime in particular, from no TV through to what we have now in the space of one single lifetime. She's still around, still kicking. There's plenty of time to go yet. So it's been a, it's been a remarkable, remarkable story and so much more to come. Um, uh, curious as to, as a as a as a boss, uh, as someone in technology, as someone who talks about and to employees, people all the time. What advice would you give someone who was interested in a job in your industry? Uh, my my advice would be two things. I I, I talk about the three P's: people, purpose, and passion. Uh, so even though I work in a technology industry, and I just touched on it, Scott, and I said these technologies, uh, these advanced technologies, um, you know, quantum computing, and all these great things that are are taking place right now. All, all of these technologies, whether it's AI, robotics, machine learning, quantum computing, uh, all of them are, are coming about to improve our life experiences as humans. So we can never take away the human aspect of anything that we do. So first and foremost, my advice to people would be look after your people because in business – we're always going to have an aspect of people. People are always going to, because why do we do business otherwise, right? It's, it, you're going to have that aspect of people. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is purpose. You know, helping, helping these folks find their purpose is, I think, you know, critical because if you help them find their purpose, their why, as Simon Sinek would say, if, if you help them find their why or their purpose, um, what you're doing is igniting them or, or uh, igniting that fuel for them to be successful. And that leads to the third thing is if you help them find their purpose, then they're going to execute with passion. And I've never cro- come across anyone, any person or any business that's executing with passion that hasn't been successful. Um, and, and the reason why they uh, haven't found 
them not to be successful is because if you're executing with you know a focus on your your people, you're helping them find their purpose, and you're all executing with passion, then you're going to find ways around the barriers. You're going to find a means to the end. Uh, there's going to be uh, roadblocks. Uh, there's going to be ups and downs, but you're going to find an answer and a key. So that that would be my advice. Is is uh, work with your people, make sure that they have a path, that they see the light, uh, ignite the fire within them. And if you can do that, they're going to execute with passion and then you're going to be really successful. That's a really cool lesson. A nice little recipe wrapped up there. I don't want to say recipe, I don't mean to even downplay it. It's a really important part. But if you think about those comp- those components, you're able to do that. Uh, I think individually as well, for, for other people, but I guess even for yourself, right? If I think about my own job or, or other people's jobs, in, in you know, if, you're, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this or a manager or, or a business owner, a leader, uh, then you can do that. I think for yourself, if you can if you can find a, an organization, a, a role, a, a function where you get to do those things and in that order, I think it's a, it's a really strong one as well. Mate, let's, let's finish off. I'm an optimist by nature. I'm not sure if you are or not. Uh, I think you have to be to be an investor and you probably have to be to be in business or at least at least a determined pessimist, one of the two. Uh, but my, my favorite question, my last question, what are you optimistic about? I'm optimistic about our future. Uh, and, and our future in general, not just our future uh, in regards to you know business or technology, et cetera, but our future here uh, as a country and as an Australian. Uh, I, I am amazed at how wonderful this country is. Uh, with the with the experience of visiting over 100 countries around the world. I can tell you, Scott, I live in Australia for a reason. Of course, my wife is a big reason, but I I live in Australia. (laughs) She's the primary reason. But I live in Australia because we live in the most wonderful country in the world. And I'm extremely optimistic about our future. And, you know, the you can look at things that have taken place recently, the elections, and, and people are going to have their views on politics and policy and, and, and all these things. But overall, just in general, I'm very optimistic about Australia, about our economy, about our democracy and about our future. And uh, I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world. I can't think of a better note to leave this episode on. Martin Cregan, thank you for joining me on The Good Oil. Thank you. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden and imaged by Link Kelly. Listener.